You're listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick. I'm Hamish. And I'm Scott. And this week we are going to be talking about brand culture. So how to establish one, how to to manage one. And I think what's going to be really interesting is Scott's take on brand culture as it relates to product design. So Scott? Yeah, well, um, obviously this is generally a marketing issue, Mm. which which Hamish is going to um, elaborate on later. But uh, I thought I'd just step in to start with with how you have to be careful when you're doing a product that the the way your product is presented, the touch, the feel, every aspect of it really relates to your brand culture. Uh, if you get we, we call it um, corporate identity. So if you have a product that's really lightweight and flimsy and sells for five dollars at the two dollar shop, and then you try and introduce uh, another that sort that becomes your identity. Your your product X. And, and people relate that cheap and nasty product with you. If you went to go and then put a, um, you know, a high-end, nice-feeling, beautifully finished product in that same range, no one would be able. No one would sort of justify the pricing of, of it. To, to, the perceived value would be t- mm. tampered mm-hmm. or, or um, tainted by the by the original offering. So, you have to really have a look at your product range and find out. And, and decide really what the message is that product should should um, portray. And you, you can do, people are incredibly sensitive to this sort of stuff. The way people feel and touch and see things, taste, feel, weight, all that sort of stuff comes into it. So I think I, I was talking to Hamish before the, the podcast started and we're talking about the brand Royal, Dal- Royal, Royal Dalton. It's a plate and there's a thousand plates out there. They're all, you know, very similar. When you think about it, they're all uh, ceramic. They've got a... a, a um, nice glazed coating on it but the finer details of, of a Royal Dalton plate just the way the, the, the weight of it it's, it's usually a lot heavier a little bit thicker all the radiuses and edges just seem to blend lovely and on the bottom there isn't isn't a harsh scratchy surface that touches on the on the on the table so when you shift it from one person to the other it doesn't grind along the table it just slides along so all these things people are incredibly perceptive to so you've got to really consider and, and I certainly do when I when I look at a range of products that I have to slot in with. I'll look at what else is existing, what price point it is, and and I'll certainly do things to increase perceived value or decrease perceived value according to the product and where it needs to sit within the market. So, from a product perspective, incredibly important to really have that in mind when you start designing it, and design towards the price point you're aiming at or the point of the market you're aiming at, and. There's nothing wrong with making something cheap and nasty. There's always someone who's going to buy a cheap and nasty. I don't usually delve in that area because I just find in Australia that we don't have the quantities to, to justify it. We normally have to end, end up working mid to top end, which has got more profit margin in it and allows you to start here and have enough profit margin to, to generate income to go into the export markets. So um, so generally it's not, not my field, but it's certainly totally relevant if you are in the low end of the market to not um, make it make up a, a very expensive looking product because it's not going to be selling for, for a lot of price. No, no. It'll confuse the market. If it's really high quality and you're selling it for four dollars, mm. people just say, "What the hell? What is this? Don't get it." No, and I think what's interesting to point out, which I'm sure some of our listeners would be aware of, but if we're looking at brand culture and perceived value and how that affects design is if you look at motor vehicles I think um, not that I drive a Rolls Royce but I'm fully aware I mean I remember watching a 
uh, remember watching a interesting documentary on the design process and just the detail that goes into some of the switch gear, even the way the sound of the door, the way it closes. It's the experience. And it's just some of the things that they take into consideration, yeah. even the sound of the glove box when mm. it closes. I mean, some of the... it opens. Yeah, and, and the speed at which it opens. Because, you know, we're talking about, um, I think, what, what did you call it? It was a binocular grease. Oh, yes. Yeah. To slow things down. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it sounds yeah. funny, but when you're looking at building a brand and a brand culture... So, so um, just to say, like, you know, when you push your uh, sunglasses case in your car and it comes down very slowly? Yes. It's simply because you put binoc- a very high, high viscosity grease in it and it yep. just basically just slows the mechanism down. I think we're uh, going to be getting a lot of inquiries about where the hell to buy this binocular grease. <laughs> if you want to sell your product for more, just use it. We're kidding. But if we're, and this is something, especially with entrepreneurs and a lot of our listeners who are starting out on their journey, is to perhaps, obviously working with people like Scott and myself, you start to, if it's your first product, first time going to market, you know, it's, it's a per- the perfect opportunity to at least start thinking about how you want to continue on if there's other products that you can build on from the one that you're currently working on Uh, because obviously you get bigger companies established companies I mean they're maintaining a brand image which is just as important and it comes right down to even packaging like you Mm. you know the the reason when you open an Apple phone it's actually an experience to open it you have people unboxing these things because there's such a nice experience when you open your product It's, it's not necessarily just the product it's the whole experience of interacting with that product and that brand, mm. and that's well. It's a know, justification of price. I mean, it is a very good product. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, and but if that still, turned up in a little cardboard slip, you'd be like, "What?" Yeah. It totally takes that takes the whole enjoyment out of it. Or if it comes, if you have beautiful glasses turn up with uh, fingerprints all over them, or mm. they're dirty from the factory, like that just ruins the whole pro- the whole experience. Mm. And I think that's what I and that's what I was going to talk about too. Is more as I I'm work with companies on managing their brand culture, but we're talking about serv- the service industry, so we're not talking about products. And and this is where, I mean, to be honest with you, I haven't really worked on a just a logo project as a brand project for a long time because often now you're dealing with companies that, to get their competitive edge, the logo, there's nothing wrong with the logo. The logo really plays a, a very small role in how they position themselves in the market. It is really, brand culture comes down to experiences and managing experiences because when you've only got human interaction or you've got human interaction with say limited product interaction, so if your stuff is online, for instance, if you're offering a lot of services online or you're offering intangible services of any sort, more often than not, you're gonna be talking to someone on the phone, you're gonna be dealing with someone individually, you're gonna be expecting reports, you're gonna be expecting uh, surveys or whatever it is that you provide. In the case of those businesses, brand culture is built on a lot of small habits being or conformity to, to to a lot of individual habits and it can also and it really comes down to even company policies i mean we've had i've had to work with companies and say look if you want to get that sort of culture into your business i can see by walking around the place and talking to people that there are some company policies which you have in place which people are obviously adhering to which need to change because that will change the way you operate and it will change the experience that your people have with your customers. There's nothing I can do in terms of a marketing message. I mean, I can do all the intangible things. I can come up with new taglines and a new visual style. That's great. But if that's not matched with company policy and even things like returns policies, how you deal with complaints, how you deal with people on follow-up. So if you send someone a detailed proposal, if you're not following that up in a particular way, 
that's all going to build a particular culture because I've always said and I will always maintain every business has a brand you're building a brand regardless of whether you're building a brand or not mm. if you if you don't care about it and you have a lot of people coming and going in your organization so let's just say you have a lot of middle management that comes and goes well they will bring their own management style in and sometimes you'll get people that actually conform to how you need to be portrayed positioning wise uh, that you know in terms of uh, correct positioning in your market, but then you might have someone else come along, and they may be a little bit hard, uh, hard-headed. They might be a little bit more aggressive in their approach, or they might be too soft. And so you get this change of culture that comes in in waves in, within an organisation. So you've really got to write it all down in terms of how what what is the ex, what is the expectation with all those interactions that you have on a daily basis with your customer. And if we're getting it back to the entrepreneurs out there. That you know, as as an organisation grows, I mean, you might start off just by yourself, in in a, in a garage building a product, but all of a sudden, you know, within 12, 18, 24 months time, you might have two people working for you. Now, you've got to set the expectation. This is where leadership comes into building brand culture. Is to say, well, hey, this is how we need. This is how I've been operating on my own, and because I'm, it's very close to me in my heart, and I put all my you know energy into it. This is how I need you to behave as my team members. I need your help, but I need your help in a particular way. We won't mention Israel for Folio at the moment. <laughs> oh, well, you can if you want. <laughs> no, it's, it's affecting their brand. Um, but you, know, you wouldn't would, would, yeah, would take photographs of you working out of your garage. I mean, you'd portray a different image on your websites and all the rest of it. So it's like, oh no, sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm talking. Uh, no, about... I'm saying that you know this is just an example of mm. you know you're, you have to portray to the public mm. because I think what, a lot of you want to see. Yeah, a lot, a lot of new companies behavior. become. Uh, it's like a, it's a good mis- it's a good mistake, as in not a mistake, but it's been some companies just grow and evolve. And especially, I've worked with a number of family-run businesses over the years, and they're often the cultures that you have within those organisations are very favourable to uh, having happy envi- a happy environment to work within because it, often the the leadership team is family, and they all get on. Uh, they treat everyone else like family because obviously everyone else that's working in there is working for the family. And it's not a case of us and them, but it's almost a case of, well, you know, you've come in on top of, you're helping our family, you're part of our family. And that's where I've seen a lot of really strong cultures where, you know, I've even had employees when I've been doing surveys and they've said, look, great job, but bad pay. Mm. But I'd never leave the place because Mm. I've been to so many workplaces where the culture is bad. And that's the other thing too, you know, people join businesses, but leave cultures and people join businesses and leave leaders. So that's the thing, you know, you can have a really good market image, you know, you can sort of portray that you're this amazing company and everyone should work for you and, you know, whatever it is, however you're selling, it's say in the employment market, but then if you don't have good leadership within the business and if you haven't got, if you haven't written down in stone what that culture looks like and how you expect people to behave amongst themselves and with your customers, well, that's where things go wrong and that's where you get a very good looking brand that looks good but the behaviour of that brand or the perception that you have and the reputation you have in the market becomes untenable in some cases. You know, that, that's where you get a, a disconnect. So mm. you have to, regardless of whether you're selling tangible products or intangible products, you have to work out what those specific behaviours are that will push the, the brand image that's going to help you make a profit. Yeah. And that's the key with all of it, is you've got to make a profit. And it comes back down to managing every element within that business. And you can actually offer your service at a higher rate if the culture is something that meets the expectations of the market, like if you are a tradesman and you always call back your great service, you, you'll find that you can actually charge a premium. Mm. You can actually you can actually profit from the from the right culture. 
I mean, we were just talking about before the before we started the podcast today, we had a naming job to talk about. Hamish is naming a product that I've developed. And we, we discussed that that just doesn't have the right feel for the product. It doesn't have the right feel for the, the company we're going to or we're going to present to. And there's certain things that did work and certain things that didn't work. And it's just a feel. But even a name has to have the right fit uh, to, to suit the culture. Mm. In the end, it's all about a user experience. I and mean, the whole thing is all about the user experience and you've got to control that through the product through your messages through the pictures you put on the internet everything yeah names that's right stationary so again it's all about putting a priority on your marketing and if interaction with the marketplace is critical to success you have to you know learn you've got to work out how you can manage that you know how you can make that consistent because really cultures are built from consistency any consistency, whether it's a bad consistency or a good consistency, if you're consistent with something, that's where you'll get your culture. And that's why cultures are very hard to shift if they do go wrong and if they aren't providing results is you've got to go back to square one and say, well, where are the, all those where are all those small behaviours? Where where do all those small behaviours exist within that entity, within that business, and what do we have to do to change that to move it forward in a in a better in a better way? And that and it can take time. That's the thing. Cultures don't change overnight. Excellent. No worries. Um, A lot to think about. Yes, yes. (laughs) Build the right culture. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick.